0: and welcome to Getting Simply the Best Results podcast. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones. I'm a facilitator, author, and trainer, and I am so pleased that you're with us today. We have an extremely special guest, somebody that I have been aware of for a number of years and have the pleasure to call a friend now. Uh, So let me share with you a little bit about my friend, Sunny Melendres. Sonny is is in the business of helping people and companies reach their full potential. As a broadcaster, he's entertained some of America's greatest greatest radio stations in both Los Angeles and San Antonio. He was inducted into the San Antonio Radio Hall of Fame, the Texas Radio Hall of Fame, and inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as one of America's top 100 radio personalities of all time quite an honor. He is a motivational speaker and has done presentations that inspire attendees of the thousands all over the place, both in person and online. He is the host of the Sonny Melindres Show, and he's also the author of The Art of Living with Enthusiasm. Please welcome Sonny Melendrez. Thank I'm you. so glad girl. you're with us.
1: You read that exactly as I wrote it.
0: Almost um, with a
1: few words time. here and there,
0: <laughs> extra. <laughs> Great to be here. My pleasure, and thank you. I so appreciate it. Yeah, I'm. I am. Uh, you know, you. I know you as a man of enthusiasm, and I know we're going to talk al- about that a little bit later. But this, uh, this idea of the art of enthusiasm, we we have to delve into. But let's back up and um, kind of come a little more like back to where you started because I know you as a broadcaster and an entertainer and a speaker and have always been captured by your voice and your enthusiasm and your just genuineness and I want to know how all that got started I mean does somebody just is someone just born to be a broadcaster or how does that (laughs) come into being or how did it come into being for you
1: You know, I've interviewed, I can't tell you how many thousands of people. And one of my favorite questions to ask, especially celebrities, is what were they like as a kid and how did they know what it was they wanted to do with their life? And I truly believe that many of us are blessed to have found that purpose, that vision, that dream early on. And I also believe that the younger you are when that happens, the more likely it will happen. And the real the reason is, uh, when you're a child, you don't know what's not possible, oh, I and so you dream big dreams. Mm-hmm. As we get older in our lives, we tend to start to put up all the the uh, you know all of the, the 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 shields that say you can't do this, you can't do that. Not to mention people in our lives who tell us those kind of things Absolutely. and start to believe them. Mm-hmm. So I, at an early age, had three dreams. The first one was radio. I wanted to be on KTSA, radio station here in San Antonio. It was the top 40 station, number one, uh, along with KONO. They went neck and neck. And I, I, I had this little transistor radio under my pillow. I would spend my allowance buying batteries <laughs> and I would just listen to it, you know, at night I'd fall asleep, I'd wake up in the morning, I just, I just consumed radio, and, but I saw myself on that radio station. The other dream I had was cartoons. I found out at an early age, Cheryl, that I had this uncanny ability to mimic voices that I heard especially voices on cartoons. Mm -hmm. And so I would just kind of do my own version of that and it got pretty good. And the other dream that I had was that I wanted to be part of the Walt Disney experience. I would watch Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color. Mm -hmm. And I used to watch the Mickey Mouse Club and all these other wonderful Disney shows. And I thought to myself, one day I'm going to work with Walt Disney. I'm going to be there and I'm going to have all that fun. How cool. Well, lo and behold, uh, and here's another thing that I, that I learned. Mm-hmm. I learned that the experience that you give yourself makes no difference where it is you give yourself that experience. I'll give you an example. Okay. When I was dreaming about being on the radio, I was 11, 12 years old. It would have been real easy for me to say okay once i get maybe after college or whatever and that that's where i I didn't i didn't wait i had a little reel-to-reel tape recorder and for you millennials look it up google it (laughs) and, and a record player and i would record my little five minute shows now i'll tell you that we didn't live in a house or an apartment we lived Inside my dad's barbershop.
0: Oh my uh, goodness.
1: My dad had a little barbershop and a strip center on the east side of San Antonio. In fact, there's the a strip center is still there. It's uh, 908 and a half Nolan Street, was our address.
0: I know exactly where
1: that is. No corner of Nolan and Pine. Yeah. Yes. And well, the reason it was half was because half of it was a strip, was a uh, print shop, and the other half was my dad's barbershop. So we lived in half of that. He partitioned half of the barbershop. Oh my goodness! The reason that he moved us in there, my mother and my little brother and myself, was because he wanted to save, to send me and my brother to private school and to college, to go to Catholic school,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which I did. I went to Central Catholic. Well, while we were lived in the back of the barbershop, and I lived there until I, I ended up going leaving to go to college, but while we were there. We didn't have a phone. The only phone we had was in the barbershop. And so at night, my dad would give me, it was a payphone. My dad would give me three dimes. And I would go into the barbershop in the dark, m- move myself around the barber chairs, sit up on top of the shoe shine stand chair next to the payphone. And I would dial these numbers in the dark. And then, and I'd sometimes, I'd, you know, wrong dial, the wrong number, but I would call my friends one at a time and play these little five-minute shows. Oh, too funny. Cheryl, I was podcasting. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. (laughs) One listener at a time. Now, the reason I mention that is because by the time I got to college, that was San Antonio College, Mm -hmm. and, and that was a whole experience unto itself, I went to register for my classes and my major was going to be art uh, because that was my other talent. I, I love drawing and, and, and art because I was going to be a commercial artist, I thought. Makes sense. So I finished registering for my classes. I'm walking down the hall, and there's a door with a little square window in it. And I look inside it, and I thought to myself, I wonder if that's what it is. And I tiptoed, and I got up on my tiptoes, and I, I looked up. And sure enough, it was the college radio station. Oh. Well, I didn't know they had a radio station. I didn't know that you could get a degree in radio TV. Mm-hmm. Come to find out it was a brand new course that they were offering. And I, I immediately, I took my bus money and called my dad on the phone and said, I want to change my major. They have radio and TV. And he said, whatever you want to do, son. So I did. And I've never looked back. But, it, a cool story. but the amazing part of it all was that the, um, the, the teacher of the class was a lady named Jean Longwith. She ended up making her entire career of radio and TV teaching there at the college. In fact, they um, named a building after her, and that's where the new radio station, the new TV department, radio TV department is at San Antonio College. And, and now I'm working with the college as a community engagement media consultant. And so I helped them to get more of the the great stories that are out there in the college out into the, uh, into the real world. So it's, it's a wonderful circle of life. Yes, But the the amazing part of it was that once I started at the radio station, now I continued recording shows Mm -hmm. and broadcasting so that by the time I went to UTEP, after I left, San Antonio College in El Paso, and landed my first job uh, at the number one station working on weekends, I had already had, like, you know, almost 10 years of experience. And so consequently, your subconscious does not know whether you were on. We lost you. Oh no, no, no.
0: Uh, Hold on.
1: And I would broadcast till noon, and I would look at the clock and say to myself, Oh, good, I still have four more hours. Oh, I still have three more. I still have two more. I didn't want it to end. What employee says that? Well, but to this day, Well, you're right. Think about this. Kind of a job was I'm playing like the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Sonny and Cher. And I'm having the time of my life. I'm cranking up the music. I'm having. I mean, it's unbelievable. And I'm getting paid for it. Your favorite thing. What's right with this picture? It was incredible. So I learned that, you know, you you tend to gravitate to the things that you love to do and want to do. And um, it's so funny, I interviewed uh, uh, Augie Myers, who's just a legend, uh, legendary artist, and and he said something to me that I really rang true. He says, I do what I have to do so I can do what I want to do. And there's a lot of things that people don't want to do, but if they do them, they will allow you to do the things you want to do.
0: Very true. Uh, Very true. So that
1: was the uh, that was the first dream. It was radio. But here's the big the big payoff. Within uh, six months, I have got a job from from the, the working on weekends to the competition, which is a little daytime station in El Paso, and they, they asked me. I said, "Well, how much are you making over there?" I said, "Dollar twenty five. He says, "Well, how'd you like to make a dollar fifty and Ooh. work full time?" I could Well, I said, where do I sign? Yes. So I, within six months, I went to the, the other station, and within about four years, I built a reputation nationally and got the, my first award, which is the Billboard Magazine Award. And uh, that brought me to the attention of another radio station that wanted me to come and be their program director, because I was already now as program director of this other station, and on the air in the afternoon, afternoon drive. And that station was KTSA in San Antonio. The
0: one you wanted. Oh, how yeah. oh, cool. And,
1: you and that's what I say. If you have that vision and you hold on to it, mm-hmm. it will happen. And and I'm sure people have th- shown up in your life, you know, when you have these ideas that you want to do and you can't believe. It seems like a serendipity. It's like, I can't believe you're here. I can't believe you're talking. I can't believe you're saying this. But it's not by accident. Oh, you know? no. Bring those wonderful things to ourselves. Yeah. So the first dream was radio. Second was cartoons. Mm-hmm. Now I went to Los Angeles. I find myself on the air at the, I mean, this was the dream. I tell people in radio about this and they, and they, they find it hard to believe, but it's true. You can, you can Google it. The station is KMPC in Los Angeles. Okay. And it was billed as the Station of the Stars. If you can believe this, every personality on the radio station was associated or hosting, associated with or hosting a national television show. Gary Owens, who was on Laugh In, Wink Martindale, who had Tic Tac Toe, uh, Wink Ma- uh, the Jeff Edwards uh, was host of the national the um, the new the new Treasure Hunt. I mean, it just went on and on. And I was doing a show called. Kids are people, too, on, on ABC. I was doing the L.A. segments of the show, but I was just a kid. I was in my 20s, and these guys were all, I mean, they were the big. Yeah. But I. another thing I learned, Cheryl, is I had earned my right to be there. I belonged there. It wasn't by accident. Mm-hmm. My father didn't own the radio station. I belonged there with those guys, and they knew it. And so I was, you know, one of their their peers, although I looked up to them and thought, Oh my I can't believe I'm here. This is incredible. One day I'm on the radio station on the uh, on the air, and I get a call from an agent who says, Have you ever thought about doing cartoon work? Because he'd heard all the different voices that I did on my show. And I said, Are you kidding? Since I was a kid. He says, Well, let me have a sample of your work and let me see what I can do. So two weeks later. I'll never forget this. I'll never forget the day. He calls me up and he says, you've got your first job. And he gives me all the information. And that following Monday morning at 10 a.m., I drove my little 1971 Ford Maverick into the parking lot of the Hanna-Barbera Studios. And I was there to do voices, assorted voices, with the original cast on the second season of The Jetsons. Now, my favorite shows, it gets my better. And you, you can imagine, I'm there. This is my first job doing cartoons, but again, I'd earned my right to be there, Certainly. so I'm there and be very professional. We're all sitting around, the director is setting up the scene for the first thing. We're going to do the read through, everybody's got a microphone, and I'm hearing these voices of George Jetson, daughter Judy, Jane, his wife and Mr. Spacely, who was George Jetson's boss. Mm -hmm. Well, the voice of Mr. Spacely, Cheryl, was the great Mel Blanc, the voice of Bugs Bunny, Sylvester, Mm Tweety, Foghorn, Leghorn, and the most gracious man you'd ever want to meet. He Uh, took me under his wing and became a mentor of sorts and taught me many of his voices. Want to hear some? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> what you got? What you got? Okay. okay. So I'll start out with, with, uh, with Elmer Fudd, because Elmer's always looking for, for, you know, with that funny gun and that funny hat, rabbit. looking for, for this wabbit. He says, be very, very quiet. I'm looking for a little gray wabbit. And when I find that wabbit, I want to tell my part whim from whim. <laughs> eh. What's up, Doc? Have you, have you seen a little gray rabbit? Big eyes, yeah. Big teeth, yeah. Big smile, yeah. I ain't seen him. Ain't I a stinker? Ooh, I told I tore a pretty tat. I did. I did tore a pretty tat. <laughs> you bet you poor, pretty tat. The pretty tat was me. Wow, I'm the wildest rudeness, dudeness, shootness, yeah, shit, up. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> now, I can't do that, I can't do that in person anymore because I'll spit on you, oh, and that's not allowed, you know? That's not allowed, no, that's it's right. not appreciated either. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway.
0: Anyway. You know, what fascinates me is how you move through each voice, and because, um, you know i don't know if you know you have to like change your mindset each time like to move through each one or you just practice it so much it's just so natural to you but it just it amazes me it absolutely amazes me
1: well the, you know the best way that i can explain it is that you become that character mm. you know um one of my favorite impressions is uh lieutenant columbo oh. peter falk mm-hmm. and and you can't do peter falk without Having your face look like him, and he has to, he has that, that wonderful uh way of uh, l- leaving the room and then coming back and saying, I don't want to bother you, but uh, am I bothering you? What my, my wife, by the way, my wife thinks you're the greatest, but I have a little uh, where were you on the night of never mind, I'm bothering you. You know, so that's so
0: great, and you're right. right. You have to do the whole body thing because you you know oh, the yeah. whole hand we to the do. head, and he's just yeah. little slumped shoulders, and oh, yeah, just brilliant, brilliant work, brilliant. <laughs> oh my gosh, that uh, and what an opportunity to work directly with Mil Blanc. That's
1: oh amazing. my god, oh, It's my incredible.
0: Goodness. Yeah, he was such but, he's the, I mean such a contributor, entrepreneur, and and just you know all around creative. Big that kid, amazing.
1: Yeah, he really was wonderful. He really was wonderful.
0: Yeah. So But you just um, you know you just painted the the clearly painted the picture of one of the things that I teach and that's about the visualization, you know, really focusing on what it is you want. And it's and it's there's another it's not just about seeing it in your mind's eye. There's an right. energy associated with it. Right. So, you know, you were already at a young, young age, you were already living um, with your real to reel tape, you know, kind of player. You were already living it and manifesting it right yes. then and there.
1: And you I already. I knew it was going to happen. It. I knew that I, I wanted, I couldn't wait to do it. In other words, I don't have time to grow up. I've got yes. to do this now. And it was the same thing with comedy. I would start doing stand up comedy and impressions, and uh, I would be in talent shows, or I uh, had those, those little troupe that uh, would go out. To the uh, air bases or to the hospitals and entertain, and uh, and I was the MC comedian, and so all of that was experience, you know. So once I got to Los Angeles, and all these other doors started to open up, and started to do all these different, uh, you know, other types of stages. And that's really what my life has been about. It's been about stages, whether I'm on the platform speaking whether I'm on radio, whether I'm on the air, on television, whether I'm here with you, now podcasting, another stage. Another stage. Zoom casting, Zoom. <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. Like that.
0: yeah. Absolutely. Well, and then it's, and it sounds like you had, and correct me if I'm wrong, but had some really good support in terms of family encouraging you, and, or, or were they kind of neutral about it, or what was, oh, what was your family no, like? No. It sounds like they were let me, supportive. Let
1: me tell you something. When I went off to college and went to El Paso, um, my brother is five years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And so my brother was like about 10, 11, 12 years old. And my dad, and still living with my mom and dad, the barbershop. And one day, my brother comes home from school. And the front of my dad's, the window of the barbershop has got all of these clippings of all these different things, magazines I'd been in, awards I've received, just—I mean, the whole thing was like a tribute to me, right? And so, my brother, my dad was um, had gone to the uh, to the uh, the grocery store right next door, and so there was nobody in the barbershop. So my dad comes back, and my my brother is sitting in the front door of the barbershop, just really down, just just <laughs> dejected. And my his name is Rick. And my bro- my father says, Rick, what's the matter? What's the matter? And he says, Sonny's dead, isn't he? <laughs> oh. <laughs> the only thing that was missing was the wreath. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. My dad just decided that he was going to, 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 to tell the world what his son was doing, you know? And that's the kind of support that I got. That's awesome. My mom and my dad. My mom, my, on the other side of the coin, she i call her the maternal optimist because i mean i never heard in my entire life my mom say anything bad about anyone uh, no one didn't love carmen Melendres. Uh, she was this, this tall i mean just oh my gosh she passed away two years ago but i'm telling you people everywhere and, and, and children. and I mean, I think that that's where I get a lot of my joie de vivre. My, mm-hmm. Both my brother and I are, are like that. But the support we got from our family was, was, was through the roof. And the other support was people that were my idols. You know, you always say, you hear these stories about people wanting to meet their idol, and then when they do, they're disappointed. Mm-hmm. I, I never was. And one of my idols... Was um, a guy who I thought had the, the greatest job in the world. He'd play all the top hits in the country. He would tell stories about them, and he was on 500 radio stations around the world. And his name was Casey Kasem oh. American Top 40.
0: Absolutely.
1: He had that, that wonderful, great voice. Mm-hmm. Hi, this is Casey Kasem. Count down the hits in all the land. On American Top Forty, and I would he lives. oh, I would <laughs> I would dream about because I would play these you know we play his week his show on the weekends and mm-hmm. both in El Paso and in San Antonio, and I would think this guy's got the greatest job, and I I would imagine what it would be like to be behind that microphone and broadcasting and telling these stories. Well, when I got to LA, one of the first people I wanted to meet was Casey, so I. I, I called him, and everybody at the radio station said, well, you're not going to get through to him. Can I, I I called his office, and they put me right through, and I, I got to talk to him, and it turned out that he listened to my show on oh. in Los Angeles. <laughs> and so we got to be, you know, really good, mm-hmm. fairly good friends. Yeah. And about, I would say maybe six months later, it was the summertime, he calls me, he says, hey, Sonny, this is Gacy. Like, he had to tell me his name, right? And he says, uh, "He says I'm going on vacation, and I was wondering if you would sit in for me on American Top 40. Oh, my gosh. That's exactly what I said. What an honor. And I said, well, oh, let me think about it. Okay, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, and so in a matter of weeks, I was behind that microphone just as I imagined what it would be like Broadcasting. To, uh, the, in fact, if you Google Sunny Melendra's American Top Forty, you can hear the beginning of the show, and you can hear me uh, sitting in for Casey. Oh, that's cool! Unbelievable. And yes. the other, the other person that I that I really looked up to, that was also incredibly nice, incredibly encouraging, was someone that I thought had it all because he was in front of a camera and behind a camera. He would produce the shows that he would appear on. And he would do all these incredible things. You know, he would hire these people. He was a producer. He was a director. He was a performer. He was a, a, um, a uh, what do you call it, a, a host. Mm-hmm. And his name was Dick Clark. Oh, well, well of course. Dick Clark was like, like at the top of his game when I, when I tried to get a hold of him. Again, not only did I talk to him, but he gave me what was supposed to be 30 minutes of his time. It ended up being about four hours. And and literally we talked about everything that you can think of in the world of entertainment and to sit there in his office and see all this memorabilia and all these gold records and everything, you know, to think that I had grown up as a kid watching American top 40, excuse me, watching American bandstand. Mm -hmm. And here I was with, with Dick Clark. I mean, it, you just can't, you, you can't fathom the feeling that you get, but you also learn that now you have the responsibility and also the opportunity to do the same for someone who'd love to be where you are.
0: Exactly. So. What a, well, yeah, you have the opportunity to be that role model and to be that, yeah, absolutely. To pay it forward, you know, as yeah, were yeah. doing, which is really exactly. cool. Yeah.
1: Pay it forward and backward. And backwards at the same time. <laughs>
0: yeah
1: the ladder of life is this someone yeah. is pulling you up to where they are and you're pulling someone up to where you are mm-hmm. exactly there's nobody yeah. that stands alone ever ever, yeah. ever, ever. <laughs>
0: well out of all the things that you've done what has brought you the biggest joy you know uh, uh, you know
1: well i really to tell you the truth uh and i think it's because i am still a kid at heart uh anything having to do uh with children, Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1979, uh, I was the, um, the Los Angeles representative for the Year of the Child. They had a, like a, like a commissioner for, in all these different cities. And the International Year of the Child was um, the, uh, was a worldwide celebration by the United Nations. And uh, Gene Young was the chairperson. And so she commissioned, she, she, she summoned all of the commissioners to come to Los Angeles, I'm sorry, to come to Washington mm-hmm. to give their ideas. This was like two years before the, the year of the child, give their ideas of what they saw that could happen during the year of the child that would be long lasting to benefit children around the world. Mm-hmm. So I had this idea of a national holiday for children called Sunshine Day. And the reason it was Sunshine Day was because it would be on a Sunday, not a day where you get off from school or anything like that, and it'd be on a day where your parents or parent would probably not have to work, so they could spend some time with you doing everything under the sun, Absolutely. which is what kids really want, is time and love. That's all they want. Absolutely. They want attention that, that we can give them. So. They adopted it, and in all 50 states on August 19th, 1979, Sunshine Day came to be, and it was the the first uh, national holiday for children, and it was celebrated in several of those states for maybe five years after that, Um, but it was just a phenomenal, wonderful way, and the stories that we received and the things that people were doing, it was incredible. It was just, just a wonderful thing. Feels like it because sounds like it fills your heart up too. Oh, you know, oh my so, gosh, yeah. it's incredible, and you know it's it's amazing is that, and we see it right now with with the uh, with the whole thing that's going on with the virus, all these incredible stories. I mean, look at what all of our healthcare workers, or even the people at the grocery store, people that uh, the, the garbage man, you know, these everybody who's putting their their lives on the line to to keep things moving forward so that our lives continue as best they can with with what we've got. Mm -hmm. So I I think that, you know, it it brings out the best in all of us. And I think that the other part of it is that within us all, there is this child.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: yes, some of the children inside us have got bruises and, and maybe not so great memories, but there's still a child there. Mm-hmm. And as long as it's there, there's always hope. and that's what I think children represent. And um, I will tell you that in 1985, I was uh, broadcasting in Los Angeles at Magic 106. It was one of the top stations. So I had the afternoon show and I woke up in the morning, it was like 7:30 in the morning. The radio clock radio goes on. and uh, at the time, The big song around the world was We Are the World. Of course, you know, it was for uh, USA for Africa, and it was helping the starving children in Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. And um, when I woke up, I heard a little boy singing We Are the World. And I thought, oh, my gosh, children singing We Are the World. We are the children. Of course. Mm -hmm. Why didn't I think of that? What a great idea. Well, in my groggy state, after I woke up, I realized that the little boy was actually Michael Jackson. And I was indeed listening to the original song. And so that there was no children's version. Mm -hmm. So that afternoon, I went on the radio and I told my listeners about what had happened. And I asked the question. I said, I wonder if there are any children or parents Who would love to be a part of this movement? And you know, would we could put together the children's version of "We Are the World"? What would you think? Well, Cheryl, the phones blew out at the radio station. We could not take enough calls. Wow! And this this before you know the internet and email, and so people are just calling left and right, crazy. And as time went on, we started getting all of these different other people that wanted to be involved and including people who were in the, the music industry, in the uh, television industry, et, et cetera. And so then it really took a full form, and we had auditions, and we auditioned about 1,600 kids. Oh, my gosh. Started. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. And you can imagine, Los Angeles, Southern California, right. what the talent must have been like, it was incredible. So, and it was not like American Idol. We would have these different auditions all throughout the city and the kids would come and every kid, no matter how good or how bad they were, they would receive a t-shirt, they'd get a certificate, they'd get a standing, a, a, the judges would stand up and applaud them. And then we had to make a decision. And We got, got it down to 50 children. Well, I, I called every single one of them. In like fact, my wife, Linda, and I both called from the radio station, all the, the people who had, who had made it. And I still have recordings, and they're going, I can't believe it. Oh, my God. Oh my God. So, so uh, after we, we got all that, those 50 people, now we started getting calls from agents of child stars oh. who wanted to be in, in, the, uh, in the show. And one of those child stars, in fact, I'm hoping to get her on my, on my radio show in, in the near future, was a little girl named Drew Barrymore. Oh my gosh! Yes, and if you see the video, if you if you Google "Children of the World," "We Are the World," uh, you'll see the uh, you'll see the video, and you'll see the, the you know Drew Barrymore singing there along with Danny Pintaro from "Who's the Boss." Mm-hmm. All these different child stars from the time, but they also had to audition, and they could not. They had to leave their egos at the door. And there were no no special treatment for anyone, and everybody wore the same thing. They had uh, white pants, white jeans, and uh, and a red uh, sweatshirt that said "Children of the World Project." So, in the back of my mind, when we went to that to that um, to the recording session, we we took us an all day to record this one. Oh, and we got George Duke, who was a Grammy Award winning producer, to produce the the, uh, the show. And, and the uh, the video and the and the song and he had a great idea rather than to do solos with different of kids like they did on the original version with the big stars, he thought of age groups. So it starts out with like five-year-olds mm-hmm. and then it goes on from there to the tweens and then the teens. it's just it's wonderfully well done And then he got uh, uh, people like Stephen uh, Steve Smith, from Journey, he got uh, Philip Bailey, he got all these incredible musicians to build the track. Once we had the track, now we brought all the kids into the studio, and we started to record. Amazing. Well, we had to have a flip side of oh, the, yeah. of the cause it was a record. It was a record, yes. It 45, right? <laughs> so, again, if you're a millennial, look it up. up yeah. They're about this big, they had a big yeah. hole in the middle, Yeah, they were flat, yeah. Like right. Black. <laughs> so we needed a flip side, and I'd heard a song, a great song. It was written by uh, a couple of uh, people in in Australia, and it was called "Care for Kids." And the very per- first part, there's two people singing, "Care for Kids." It's important to share for the kids, and then it goes into the whole thing with all the chorus. So. I sang the first part of it with one of the kids from the children of the world project. And that little girl was a little girl named Stacy Ferguson, seven years old. You know her as Fergie. No way. Like eyepiece. Yes. Oh my God. I just got chills just telling you. <laughs> Is that incredible? That's that's. Amazing, yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, so anyway, so we, we recorded it, and in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, because they wanted to do a video. And I thought, you know, I, I want to get those other 1,400 kids that didn't make it uh, into the into this video. So we had every single one of them show up, and we, we shot the video at um, at Griffith Park, And there's this wonderful hill where you just see the beginning of the the video, there's this hill, and all of a sudden you start seeing these kids come over, and there's more and more and more. Now there's 1,500 kids. And because it was the Children of the World Project, Mm -hmm. I also wanted kids watching to see themselves in the video. So we had a lot of the kids in all these – around-the-world garments Mm -hmm. from children who, you know, all these different uh, backgrounds. And it was just the most incredibly wonderful, wonderful, unbelievable uh, production. And, and again, it would have cost us probably a quarter of a million, a half million dollars back then Mm -hmm. to do all this. But everybody in Hollywood, all these people were giving us cranes and, you know, and all these. I mean, it was phenomenal. And at the end, the the big payoff was that when the song came out, all of a sudden, money from all the 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 sales of all the, the records all went to USA for Africa. So these awesome. kids who had sung in their bedrooms in their you know in front of their mirrors, et cetera, were now doing something for children on the other side of the world. I it think. was just incredible. And what? then that was in 1985. Then in eighty. Um, in '86, when I had come back to San Antonio, uh, I got a call from my agent in LA saying that uh, we had been nominated for a Grammy. Wow. Yeah. So That's pretty uh, cool. just incredible, yeah it was just an icing on the cake, but it was just a wonderful, incredible experience. So, oh, thank
0: you for sharing that. I had no idea. And I I remember that video. And I, of course, yeah, remember the yeah, song. Yeah. And I'm like, it totally started playing in my mind when you described the hill and them coming over the hill. It totally, uh, Yeah, I totally remembered it. So it was, wow, that's so nostalgic. And at the same time, so uplifting to remember it and kind of re experience it in this. Oh, I'm telling so, you. I'm telling thank you for sharing you. Yeah. that story. That's no, My awesome. pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. Wow! So all these all these connections, these dots that are connecting with one another, you know, of people you met then and how they, how their lives have tracked, as well as how they connected with you, is just fascinating. Yeah.
1: yeah. you know, I, I mentioned that I, I said to myself one day, I'm going to work for for Walt Disney, mm-hmm. and um, and so when I found out in, I guess it was 1980 one or 82 that the Walt Disney company was putting together something called the Disney channel and they were starting to go into pre-production for a lot of their, their programming. So again, I didn't wait. It would have been easy for me to say, okay, well let me go to the trades and let me see who's the, what the auditions they've got, you know, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I I created a show and it was called Saturday in the park. And the idea was that, I go to different parks all across the country uh, with about 20 kids, and we would go into the park and see all these different things that there were. It could be Yellowstone Park, it could be any of these different parks all across the country, and then the guest stars would show up in different parts of of the park. So my agent got me a my agent got me a uh, what they call a meeting in front of the suits, which is about you know, four different. Uh, of the executives at Disney, so I went to the. I can still see me driving my car into the the Buena Vista Studio. <laughs> oh my gosh, Cheryl! I was, it was, my my heart was coming out of my chest. Was like, just, like, just like days. in the cartoons, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the such and such, such. I'm going to see so and so, and it's oh yeah, go just park over there. They're they're waiting for you. So I go in there, and I, I walk in, and I start to tell, them, and I'm standing up. And, and they're all sitting down, and they're dressed like I am right now, very stoic, just, just you know, just looking at me and just kind of kind of nodding their head just a little bit. And I'm going through all the gyrations, and we're going to be doing this, and this will happen, and then this will happen. And, and, again, it was the power of enthusiasm. And so at one point, I see with three men and a lady, and I see the lady looking over at one of the men, and he, she's doing this like, hmm and I'm thinking to myself great. They're making fun of me, but I did not show and they didn't see me sweat I kept going kept going and Finally when I'm through I start to hear what I thought I was gonna hear and that was uh, Well, Sonny, that's not really what we're looking for. It's a great. It's a nice idea She said nice she said, it's a nice idea and I started to pick up my materials and then she finished her sentence and said however with your enthusiasm we think you'd be perfect for another show that we've already started working on it's called you and me kid would you be interested well what do you think i said well i bet you didn't hesitate at all i i mean i i was like at that point it was surreal it was like i was in a dream it was like uh, I was like, the words were starting to come out of my mouth. They were real slow. Like, I, yes, I would, you know. <laughs> well, I ended up doing the show for nine years. And it uh, ran on the Disney Channel. Um, and it was an incredible hit. In fact, I tell people, I was the second male host on the Disney Channel. Do you know who the first was? No. Mickey Mouse. Oh, of course. Because <laughs> <laughs> our show ran at, at uh, real early in the morning. It was actually like the second or third show. And we would, the show was called You and Me Kid, because everything we did on the show, you could do at home with your kids. Awesome. And the, the, the people that I, I, was kind of the facilitator. I would start out these different uh, activities and a mom and a daughter, a father and a son, all these different combinations mm-hmm. uh, would do all these activities and we'd have all these different fun, we'd have all kinds of imagination and things like that. And at home, if you were at home with your big sister or your grandmother or your parents, whoever it was, that was the, the you and me kid. Mm-hmm. And so we got to do those things and we, you would do those things. So when I came to Los An- came to San Antonio back from LA in 85, 86 uh, to this day, I'll be at, uh, at Starbucks and there'll be a, you know, a millennial will say to me, I'll never forget. I'd sit on my mom's lap and I watch her show on the Disney channel, you know? Oh, wow. uh, so be, there again, be... that vision of that's being part of the Walt Disney fun. I and I get, I, I can't, I cannot emphasize how important it is to think like a child, mm. dream like a child. There is a child inside you. Absolutely. We're not just the age we are, we are every age we ever were.
0: Agree, I totally agree. Yeah, exactly. And not to be limited, because that the child, a child's no. mind is not limited by any. No,
1: not at all, yeah. not at all.
0: So I think I have one more question for you. This has been so wonderful. I have one more question, and I wanna know about intentional enthusiasm.
1: Oh, wow! You know, uh I'll tell you another <laughs> one of these things where you you think okay, well, it's got to be easy for him or her or whatever. One of my adult dreams uh, of late just in the last five, ten years, was to do a TED talk Oh or yeah. TEDx talk to sure. do TED. And so uh, when I found out about TEDx San Antonio. Uh, And they were already in like the third or fourth year I submitted and people can submit every year and they usually get about 400 submissions of uh, people who want to talk about something that's either um, it's, it's, it's ideas worth sharing is what it's called. Technology, entertainment, and design. That's what TED stands for. And so I had this idea uh about uh i forget what my first idea was and they they said they liked it but they that i was too slick oh I, yeah in you fact i won't tell you her name she was on the committee and she sent me an email and i still kept it it said something like i know that when i go through the pearly gates of heaven God's gonna ask me why I rejected Sonny He <laughs> <laughs> He's apologizing for for not for not picking me right mm-hmm. so um so as time goes on, i keep i you know you know what a vision board is where you absolutely okay, mm-hmm. so I do vision vision photoshop oh. and what I will do is i will. Uh, I will take, if I want to be on a stage, a particular stage, I'll Photoshop myself on that stage. If it's at a, you know, big conference at a hotel in Miami or whatever, I would do that. So I Photoshop myself on the stage of TEDx. Awesome. Well, uh, now I submit again. Mm-hmm. And this time, and it's a different committee every year. This time, uh, they call me and, says, and they say, um, well, you know, we saw your name come through and, uh, and we, we like your idea, but we were wondering if you would consider being our MC. <laughs> so I said, yeah, I, I, yeah, I definitely. Yeah, sure. So there I was on the stage, just like I photoshopped myself. I, I, I had to be more specific. <laughs> 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 then, then the third time is a charm. The third year, uh, I had this wonderful uh, young lady. Her name is Angelica. And she was, in fact, she's now the, um, she's now the, um, what they call the, I forget. It, it, everybody has, somebody is runs the show mm-hmm. for TEDx every year. And they become the, lic- the licensee. That's what okay, she gotcha. mm-hmm. Just a. And so you will appreciate this as a speaker. Here we are trying to say, okay, you've got this idea of enthusiasm, the power of enthusiasm. How can we craft this? And we're at, uh, remember we were at Panera Bread at 281 and Bitters. And she says, um, I have an idea. And she goes over, and I I don't recommend this because, because, uh, well, she goes over and she gets like about, Ten of these, um, the the coffee things that you know the the sleeves. Okay. Yeah, the little cup sleeves, yes. right? Uh-huh. And so she takes them apart and she writes down one of my elements on each one of them, and she starts putting it together as a puzzle. She says, okay, so you've got this and you've got this and you've got this. Now how do we arrange this? And it was a, I mean, it was a, it was a eureka moment. It was a breakthrough because all of a sudden I could see. The make the what was inside my head mm-hmm. was taking place. And, and sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees mm-hmm. as a speaker. Yeah. You know, other people can, but you're thinking, oh, I, I know it's there, but I've got to get it out. So we were able to put it all together, and it turned into something called intentional enthusiasm as opposed, as opposed to just the art of, of enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And what that is, is this. It means that. If you are intending something, if you are wanting something to happen in your life, it could be personal, it could be in your career, whatever it is, if you are intentional about your enthusiasm. Now, a lot of people think, well, I'll be enthusiastic if I can get excited about something. Mm
0: -hmm. But if I'm
1: not excited about it, then I'm not going to be enthusiastic about it. Mm -hmm. And that's wrong. Because you can't put the cart before this horse. And after a while, it turns itself around. And all of a sudden, you are reaping the rewards of your intentional enthusiasm. Love it. You know, I just just, uh, interviewed Johnny Mathis for my show, I was telling you. And he said something that uh, was just brilliant. His teacher... Way before he even got his first contract, 65 years ago, his teacher, um, his, his, his uh, singing instructor, singing teacher, said to him, because he would like sing, and then he would go, oh, okay, I'm tired of it. She says, no, no. She says, look, you're going to have to sing whether you want to or not. Mm. So you might as well learn to breathe. And he's never forgotten that. And that's really what intentional enthusiasm is. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we feel it. Sometimes it's going great. Sometimes it's, yeah, I I, I see this. I'm going to do it. And sometimes we don't want to. But if you intentionally Mm -hmm. get that enthusiasm going and you have those three pillars, and they are believe in yourself, have a clear vision of what it is you want to do, What it is you want to accomplish. And the third one, and this is the most powerful one of all. This is like the log in the fire. This is just gasoline into your intentional dream. Gratitude. If you are gracious and have gratitude along the way for everything that is happening to you, regardless of where you are, that will go so much farther when it all comes to be. And even if it doesn't, the way you think it's going to be, it will be something that was meant for you, and maybe something that wouldn't have happened otherwise. There you go.
0: Love that philosophy. That's (laughs) awesome. Absolutely. Awesome. So the three pillars were believe in yourself. Number two was have
1: a a clear clear vision.
0: vision. And the third was gratitude. Exactly. I think those are worth repeating. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. In my
1: favorite quote of all time uh, was said by a philosopher in the first century. His name is Philo of Alexandria. And what he said could easily have been said by somebody like Tony Robbins or someone who's a, uh, an inspirational and motivational speaker today. He said, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And isn't that true so, in this particular time in our lives?
0: Absolutely, and we yeah. don't know what their battle is.
1: That's exactly right. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. This has been so wonderful today. I've just so enjoyed our conversation. I feel oh, so you. filled up. What, what day is it, by the way? <laughs> it's next week. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> so, Sonny, how can people get in touch with you? Because I, I know that you do a lot of speaking. You have your radio show. There's all kinds of things that you are into. And I want people to know how to find you. What's the best
1: Very way? Easy. Very easy. Google. No. Uh, Sonnymelendras.com. <laughs> that's it. Oh,
0: that's so easy. <laughs> well, thank you again. I have much, much gratitude for you being on my podcast. Thank you. Um, I, I am such a babe in the woods compared to your level no, of experience, no. but and I am learning very quickly from you. And Cheryl, let,
1: let me congratulate you because you talk about somebody who is taking the ball and running with it. You, as long as I've known you, you've not only been Uh, extremely giving of yourself uh, on so many different platforms. I've seen you at the National Speakers Association uh, here in San Antonio, and now you've got the San Antonio Speakers Association, which is an incredible, um, wonderful way of bringing our, our speaking community together. But your incredible, wonderful vision, and I understand you've got something really big that's coming up in the near future. That I've been getting emails with your picture about, That's so I'm looking forward to that. You can't tell us anything about that now, can you? No. <laughs>
0: no. <laughs> it's a secret. There's okay. a couple of new things on the horizon. So uh, some some things that are um, are perfect for the time, and then some things that are almost sustainable that will support people. Again, it's for me. It's really about helping people where they are. Much like you to help them reach their full potential because many of us are not living up to it and living up. And we deserve to, we all deserve to. Yes, we do. Yes, we we do. We have a lot of stories in our minds that that get in the way quite often. Well, thank you
1: for everything you do.
0: Thank you. I appreciate the acknowledgement. I really do. So, and I want to thank our guests for joining us today. This is uh, this is a genuinely a very special, special day for me, and uh, and I yeah just can't tell you how much I appreciate you, Sonny. Thank you for all that you My do pleasure. for our community, and just I mean just. To, the days, every day that I heard you on the radio brightened our community, and uh, and I know now that I can listen to you on, listen to you on demand,
1: so that's even Yeah, better. right. You go to sunnyradio.com, or if you live in San Antonio, listen to KLUP, which is 9.30 a.m. on Saturday nights at 8 p.m.
0: 8 p.m. All right. That's Central Time, because San Antonio is in Central Time. Yes. All right. So this has been Cheryl Jones with Getting the Best Results Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye-bye.